What's up, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the Sunday League Screamers podcast. I'm your host of today's show, Steve McCutcheon, along with my two co-hosts, Vito Anazelli and Michael Nellen. We have another great show for you guys, but before that, please take a moment, hit the bell, subscribe to us on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you find your podcasts. Also, follow us on Twitter at the SL Screamers underscore pod. What's up, fellas? We have a bunch to talk about. We're actually going to take it stateside real quick to start off the news and notes section. I want to say congrats to Seattle Sounders on becoming the first MLS team uh, to win the CONCACAF Champions League. Uh, Jordan Morris and Christian Roldan, United States men's national team members, also part of the squad. Uh, any thoughts on that? Why it took so long? <laughs> Outside the obvious. <laughs> uh, no thoughts on it. Congrats, though. Um, it's obviously a big thing, but still a step or two, in my opinion, behind Liga MX. So, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I thought it would probably be them or maybe like Galaxy or LAFC at, at one point to do it first. I mean, they're definitely the most talented franchises overall in the history of MLS. So good to see us finally get on the board and Agreed. maybe play Agreed. Liverpool or Real. <laughs> oh, out of curiosity, because obviously there's always a lot of, lot of talk with the MLS and stuff, promotion, relegation, TV rights, a bunch of different things. As a league, do you think they're succeeding, failing, kind of being status quo, not really improving too much? Because obviously you've had a lot of expansion teams recently. Um. I would say over the past couple years, you know, maybe from like 2010 to 2020-ish or maybe even a little bit earlier, they've definitely been on the rise given where the league was, you know, when it first started and it's grown a lot in popularity. But in terms of the overall quality, I still think there's leaps and bounds behind, you know, even let's just say like, you know, the league MX, right? Cause they, like we were just talking about, they've had dominance over the MLS for the past couple of years. Maybe even like, I, I would even go out to say like certain championship teams, right? Probably in the English premier league where a lot of people tend to equate them. I think that the championship is probably a higher caliber of play versus the MLS. So I think they're doing the right things, but it's a type of process that takes time. And the MLS itself doesn't want to be a league necessarily where one, they institute the promotion relegation for obvious owner reasons, but then two, you know, they don't really, in my opinion, want to really be a selling type of league. And to, I feel like they need to be if they really want to start competing and getting more household names into like, you know, the United States in general, you know, because that's how, pool, not only Pulisic, but it's how people like Brian Reynolds got noticed. It's how people like Weston McKinney got noticed. They got sold, right, to these bigger clubs. And I feel like a lot of the teams today are, they were hesitant for a while, but now they're becoming more open to it. So I think it has ways to go still. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a mixed bag if you look at it, right. I I don't think you can say they're doing anything extremely well or, or extremely bad. I think they're just kind of where they should be at this point. Um, Obviously you want your best players to be going to Europe to be playing with higher levels of competition. So in terms of like elevating the status of the league, I don't think that's ever really going to happen because the best United States players are always going to be going abroad. I mean, that's just anywhere in the world. And I don't see that, that changing. It's not like the MLB or the NHL or the NFL or the NBA where the best players in the world come to here because this is where the best talent is the best talent mm-hmm. somewhere else already. And that's not going to change. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the one point they're definitely lacking is obviously the relegation promotion status uh, of, of clubs. I hate the format of the MLS as well. Like, you created the supporter shield, which is the highest overall point tally, but like it doesn't, you don't actually play the same teams the same amount of times. It just doesn't make much sense in my opinion. Um, I think that 
the weirdest thing for me with the MLS is the designated player rule, which I don't fully agree with, which for anyone who doesn't know, basically states that each franchise is allowed to sign three players outside of their salary cap. Then that could include maybe transfer fees to pay for a player or just higher wages. What's the point of that? If, if your goal was really to advance the league, the only way at this point is to pay these guys what they're supposed to be worth. I mean, that's what China did, and they were able to attract top-tier players. Obviously, it didn't pan out great for them. But you <laughs> I was going to say, they're league imploded. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, like, you have more billionaires in this country than anywhere else in the, in the world. Like, if that was the case and you were allowed to bring in these incredible talents, then the MLS would be the top place to be. But that's not going to happen while something like that exists. And I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I just don't fully agree with it. Do you think it's necessarily a talent thing and bringing it here? Or is it maybe that, like, for instance, always a talking point in during the summer or January transfer windows is – a player going to be able to play in the Champions League over in Europe versus just Europa or just no European competition in general. What if the CONCACAF Champions League became, you know, a competition for a massive club, like massive club teams on the West side? Like, do you think that would help influence it a little bit better? A little bit, but I would even argue that like the, what is it? The one in South America is even larger than the CONCACAF Champions League. It's not even the largest in its own like hemisphere. Yeah, agreed. So uh, until that happens, you're going to see players go to Europe to Vito's point, because, you know, similarly with like people going to jobs, like when you work in tech, for instance, you're working in San Francisco, because that's where the epicenter is. That's the hub. It's the same with soccer in this scenario. It's all in Europe. Right. So you want to go where the talent is and where you're going to get paid the most. And unfortunately it's not the MLS for now or for the foreseeable future. So. Gotcha. And then um, don't put you guys fire, but you got, are you guys interested in the league? Honestly, like, do you watch it? Why or why not? I, I mean, I'm interested in it just because there are some exciting players in there. You know, I mean, Al Maron was tearing it up for a while when he was in the MLS. You know, even Davey, Davies was here for a while. And it's fun watching these guys. But ultimately, the only reason that I would find compelling to watch it, not that I think, not that I don't find it enjoying. It's just if I'm spending my time watching soccer, there's 10 other leagues that I could watch that are higher quality than this slow paced quote-unquote retirement league at this point in time um and that would probably be my, my my main reason even if you tuned in to watch the united states national players at this point in time and it's going to continue being like this the best ones and the people on these rosters are in europe so you're still going to end up having to watch them in european leagues not the mls mm-hmm. i wholeheartedly I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like that like i'm a fan of chelsea right so i watch the premier league that's just personally me like i, I don't have the need to have a second team or in a different league and feel the need to watch them ever. So that's kind of like where I'm at, at least headwise. Like if Dortmund and, and Bayern are playing each other, I'll probably watch that game over in Germany, but like, I'm not going to sit there and watch like Mainz versus Frankfurt. I don't have any like need for that kind of kind of stuff. Like I, I better use my time. I feel like, and MLS is so hard to watch in general. Like ESPN, I feel like doesn't do a good enough job to like broadcast in the games when they're going to be on. It's the same thing with this MLS scheduling. It's, it's so, it's so, not consistent. It can be games at all, all times, all weeks. So, well, I mean, like if you gave me the option of watching Mines versus Frankfurt instead of, or uh, hypothetically versus like uh, Philadelphia yeah. Union versus like San Jose Earthquakes, like I'm taking the game in Germany because just inherently yeah. it's, it's going to yeah. be more entertaining. There's more quality to it, in all honesty. Not to say like the MLS isn't quality, but it's know. definitely increased the MLS, no doubt, over the last couple of years. I, I don't know yeah. if it's enough credit for that but it's still not, yeah, on, on part. Yeah, I, look, I, th- I think a lot of the hate that the MLS gets, gets 
in some instances is a bit unfounded um, just because they're doing the best they can with what they have available to them. It's not like they're choosing to be a league where the quality is lower than the Premier League. You know what I mean? It's not some, it's not a case like that. But I think yeah. for me, one of, the, one of the biggest problems with, with viewing it is the United States is so incredibly large compared to all of these other European nations that you lose a lot of the locality support yeah. of following your club. I mean, look what happens when Leeds or Norwich or, or someone gets promoted. You still go to those, you still watch those matches and the fan base is through the roofs because you have these diehard fans who support their local clubs and you don't have that in, in, in the U.S. I mean, as someone who lives in San Diego, the closest thing we have is LA, obviously, which is fine, but that's still two and a half hours away. Um, and then if you, what happens when you're going to go to, you know, North, like Oregon, well, I guess Oregon may be a bad example, but you get my point. Like, even just because you live in Texas, there's, you're not close to any of these teams. You're not going to be able to go to the matches and you lose a lot, you lose a lot of the fan building and that, that passion that comes with being a locally supported team at this time. Also yeah, 45 minutes to an hour away from either, either Philadelphia Union or, or Red Bulls. Yeah, it's, it's different in some areas, obviously, but it's worth I pointing mean, out to the MLS, comparatively speaking, to all these other countries and continents, is by far like the fourth tier sport, you know, comparatively. Oh, yeah, not even four. You no, know, not not even four. So that's another uphill battle that you know they can't do really much about, and it's just going to take time. At the end of the day, yeah, and, and I'd rather it be that way. I'd rather the support and the appreciation for the game come organically than inflating the league by spending all of the money and, and turning it into that because looking at um some of the fan bases that have really really incredibly developed i mean look at nashville football club yeah. they built a brand new stadium and they packed the thing out the fan base is incredible there are atlanta pockets. also and atlanta yeah like that that's what it yeah. should be doing we should be building organically you can't just hope that it's going to just happen overnight because it's not the yeah. case. And you want people that are actually passionate and that's, what's really going to grow the sport in the country. Gotcha. Gotcha. Just a nice little, you know, different conversation than we usually have. So yeah, no, absolutely. Guys thoughts. Um, a couple of things, transfer news, obviously the biggest one, Holland to city is the Premier League pretty much over for the next five years or what? Uh, yeah, it's done and dusted. But the bigger question is if Pep doesn't win a champions league, not a Premier League. Is he the biggest fraud of all time? I've been calling him fraudy all over five years, Mike. I, I'm not saying that that you're necessarily wrong, but no, my no, point is that if he can't win a Champions League with Erling Holland at this point, now at the nine, over the next three to four years, would you consider him one of the biggest frauds of all time as a coach? No, because a lot of the players that go there turn out turn into the potential of what we think they can be. So he's great developing players. Unfortunately, yeah, he hasn't won the big one just yet. There's plenty of athletes and coaches all over the world that I would consider great that didn't win a championship. Fair enough. But um, I, I would consider him one of the top coaches ever. Uh, yeah, look, he, he's a, he's an absolutely fantastic manager and he's fantastic in player development. His his major flaw is only due to the fact that he's playing at the highest level when it comes to the Champions League because his style, the tiki tac style, is so intricate and well done that teams that don't have the quality of top tier clubs can't cope with it. That's why he, they, they win every game. But when you get to those bigger games and you play Real Madrid's, you play Chelsea's, you play Liverpool's that know what they're doing because they're like incredibly strong teams. Mm. They lose a lot in being in, in being indirect. And I think that's their problem. 
at times. Um, they're also playing they're playing against ten man defenses constantly. So. Yeah, that's true too. Especially you know, one day you're not going to be creative enough. I'd be you. I'd be kind of curious. I mean, because from my understanding, where Holland has played over the past couple seasons and couple teams, the teams he's played on have been relatively more open, where he's had chances to run into space and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of wondering from his play style in particular how that'll work in terms of his hold up play, his ability to link up play in the middle with the way Pep wants that team to play, especially breaking down low block defenses. So I'm not saying it isn't a great signing, but I'm wondering if it's, if there's any room for doubt in that signing. Yes. I'm, I could sew yes. a little bit. There's room for doubt in that signing under the pretext that Holland will not be as prolific as like one of the best of all time or generational talent, the way people are talking about him. He's still going to get a ton of goals. He's still going to perform. But you're 100% right. It reminds me of a situation with Griezmann at Atletico Madrid where his best performances were when counterattacking football, he had room to operate. When he goes to Barcelona and keeps it in, look what happens. I mean, it, it's Romelu Lukaku is another good example of that too. The guy's still prolific. It just doesn't work when teams sit in a low block against them because you can put two bodies on them. And um, I, he's still going to get a ton of goals, but I don't think he's going to score – 30 plus goals a season. I'll say this. Do you think Kevin De Bruyne breaks the assist record next year? <laughs> I would put I would put money on it, yes. Wouldn't be a bad bet. <laughs> over under on Ederson getting two and a half assists. <laughs> over, easily over. <laughs> to Holland, though. Specifically to Holland. Ederson's practically just, just an outfield player. <laughs> It'll, I mean, it'll, be, it'll be fun to watch, though. What, what'll be interesting to see is if – I don't know if you heard about this. And this I just read it before we got on, and we didn't you know, talk about it previously. But Bayern Munich are apparently chasing Sadio Mane. Hmm. That happens at the blow to Liverpool with City strengthening. Do you think that just increases the gap or Luis, Luis Diaz can take care of it with Joe DiFermino and Salah? Well, that's so. assuming Salah is even still there because he's under – He's playing hardball right now with Liverpool and his contract as negotiations. As he so. should. That'd be an interesting carousel, hypothetical. Let's just say that. I'd love to see City's odds that once this transfer is completed to win the Premier League, it's got to jump to like minus 500, something, something great, like something ridiculous. Oh, yeah. They'll be sure it should be or the other 19 teams. Yeah. I still want to be honest with that bet. <laughs> Uh, new owners at Chelsea were now confirmed. They got to watch their – I guess they got to watch VAR firsthand in action uh, this past weekend. <laughs> two or two or three goals at least uh, denied due to it. And the reaction on the second one was absolutely hysterical. Um, good for the club. They finally sorted out exactly what needed to be sorted, and everyone should be able to move forward from there. Although the transfers and the outgoings – or the departures, I want to say, seem to be getting lengthier and lengthier. Uh, the list goes on and on. So we're going to see a big overhaul this summer at Chelsea. Um, and then one interesting one from world football in general, uh, a claim from Chile that Ecuador has a player on their team who's actually Colombian and lied about his age. Pro- apparently, pro- they have proof of the documents. I don't know. This sounds like some like Jason Bourne type stuff where they just like, got slid underneath the desk and some Polaroids. I-, I don't know. But it was officially they, filed, too. Yeah, they emailed the New York Times and filed it with FIFA to go over this. They're trying to claim, again, with documents that this guy was actually born in Colombia and that 
all the paperwork was just totally falsified. This would be a wild, wild development. God forbid, like this happens to go through and it gets proved and then uh, it would be unbelievable. <laughs> you can't just give them like chili the spot, can you? Like, I don't, I don't even know how it would work. Well, no. they did the math. They, they literally did the math to figure out the point total, didn't they? That's how they said they came up with it. And that's why they filed the complaint because they should rightfully be in fourth. Yeah. It depends on how that works because there was another similar report um, a couple weeks ago, maybe like a month or two ago um, that Iran didn't weren't letting women into their games and they could forfeit their place at the world cup. And in that scenario, it would go to the highest ranking coefficient team, which would have been Italy to go in if FIFA decided to take action against it and bar them for the world cup. So there's two options there. Either it can go that route where the highest coefficient ranking goes in, or it gives the it gives it to a spot in the next highest qualifier, which in my opinion makes the most sense. But as an Italian, <laughs> could, I would could love you, to see Italy there. <laughs> could you imagine how pissed they would be if they went through all that work and digging just to be like, ah, actually, thank you for this. <laughs> and we're giving it to Italy. <laughs> grazie, grazie. <laughs> it reminds me of like that scene in like the bench warmers where he hands them like the piece of paper on crayon. It's like, I am there. I am 12. I am 12. <laughs> 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 Hold on, let's talk for a second. The most all-time petty move—not not petty, but like Chile is like, all right, we got to find dirt on somebody. We have to go there. <laughs> we have to figure out how to knock one of these teams out. Yeah, it's a wild situation. I really want—I can't wait to see the outcome. I, I don't, also don't even know if it's going to get done in time for anything to even happen, regardless. So they'll have to. There'd be—that's a giant asterisk. Like that's a—that's a serious claim, falsifying citizenship yeah, papers. They, they so have to figure that out. Register a player. Um, the problem, the only problem with it is it has to be overwhelming evidence. Like it has to be clear cut and dry. Um, as we know, FIFA is not the greatest at making good decisions. So hey, maybe Chile said, I don't know, a couple hundred million over. Ecuador's, you know, things happen. Things happen. Yeah. Chile would pay them. Like <laughs> smart, they'd publish all this information publicly. Yeah. And they just let the world see it and let the world kind of influence that decision. If they let were the smart. internet just take over. Seriously. Plot twist, Chile falsified the claim. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I wouldn't even be surprised. That's desperation right there. Oh my Did God. they miss the last World Cup too? Uh, were they one of the teams? I thought they were one of the big names, right? It was them, the U.S., Italy, the Dutch. Netherlands didn't make it in the last World Cup. Yeah, well, I think they, I think Chile was. I don't have it in front of me, but I, I'm pretty sure. Anyway, moving on. Stars and Stripes section covering the United States men's national team players across the globe. Obviously, the biggest woe over this past week. Uh, Miles Robinson ruptured his Achilles. He got surgery, I think, actually today. Um, clearly, I mean, this is at a minimum of six-month recovery, let alone getting up to speed for, you know, being able to play a full 90 minutes. It's looking about as doubtful as it gets. Uh, for him to be able to get into the World Cup. Any thoughts on that? Pretty much, besides besides Zimmerman, I guess, was our starting center back um, throughout the entire qualifiers. Look, if John Brooks doesn't get the call at this point, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, horrific injury, incredibly sad. Obviously, one of our best best center backs, if not our best center back, that, that plays for the team, that is. Um, he's not going to be back in time. Let's just let's call a spade a spade. I mean, it, it's not going to happen. That that's a that's a four to five month injury at a very very minimum, and he'd have to get up to speed. 
realistically, you need to know for an absolute certainty who you're bringing to the World Cup by September because it starts at the end of November, and he's not going to be back ready by that time period. Um, what is that? Five, four months, five months away total. Like so, so Cam Akers is a running back for the Los Angeles Rams this past season in in the offseason tore his Achilles. I don't know if it's rupture. I don't, I don't know if there's a yeah. difference. I don't know the medical terminology behind it and how severe it is, but he actually came back. I want to say it was almost six or seven months, like on the dot. I was playing football again. So I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm saying it's like 90% doubtful. It's, it's highly, high, highly improbable. Yeah. Highly improbable. I'd be extraordinarily surprised if he played, honestly, in, in the World Cup, to be yeah. frank. As if we weren't lacking enough in the center back position. Yeah. I, it's time to call Brooks. Like, I'm sorry, Greg, whatever your vendetta is against him, whatever went down between the two of you, this isn't about either of you at this point. This is about doing the what's best for the team, and that's bringing John Brooks into the side at this point in time. And if that doesn't happen, I, I mean, short of scoring 50 goals in a season, I'm not sure what else would get Brooks into the squad. I mean, you talk about injuries, top-tier performances, and a lack of depth in the position already before the injury. What the hell else can this guy do to get in? And the most experienced. And the most experienced. Yeah, he's got to he's got to be called in. It's I mean, I know you said Miles Robinson was one of the better center backs or the one of the better performing. I still think, you know, I'm sure a lot of us would agree here. Brooks is still, in my opinion, the best center back we have talent wise. I agree. I agree. I've been like playing for our team yeah. at the time. And I would even say over the past couple of games, Robinson has been a little suspect, in my opinion, with some of his the way he's been playing. But uh, for, at least for the U.S. But um yeah, it's obviously terrible to see, and hopefully he gets better really soon. So yeah, that's, does Greg have like a really hot like daughter or something like that? That like I don't know, Brooks maybe came, you know, close to. I don't know. <laughs> like, like I can't think of anything else. Like, I don't know. Has it's, it's, it's almost absurd at this point. He told him his bounce passes were stupid, and that was it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he has he has ugly Jordan. Dude, that is gonna <laughs> after the John Brooks comments from a couple weeks ago. This is gonna be an incredibly awkward phone call. <laughs> he has to call John Brooks and like, "Fuck hey, you, we have no other option. Um, can you just come back and just call? You know, call. We're good. <laughs> I don't want to see you. I don't want to hear you. <laughs> Fucking hell. Uh, I mean, yeah. One. So um, also another injury, um, Jordan P. Folk listed as questionable for the next match. It looked like so. Hopefully, just a minor one. We did get subbed off in the 34th minute this past week. Seems like an ankle injury. Um, I mean, he's basically our last remaining number nine at this point. Besides, uh, I guess Zardes and Jordan Morris. You know, not that any injury is not concerning, but it's definitely very less concerning that you know that it's it's not a long term injury. I mean, the season's nearing an end and should have enough time to kind of get back up to speed, even if that's the case. So. Hopefully it's nothing crazy. Do all these injuries give you a second thought about being a little nervous about the World Cup and the depth of the U.S.? I mean, over the past couple of months, we've had our fair share as a team of a pretty solid amount. Some obviously muscle-related, some, you know, like McKinney's a broken metarsal bone or whatever it was. Um, I mean, in my mind, it sets off a slight red flag about if we can set up in terms of like the quality of the games and be able to kind of see these out as best as we should know we should be able to. Yes. And no, I mean, we, we showed this summer that we have great depth on our squad, but that's also in the CONCACAF region. I mean, like realistically our B slash C team won the gold cup over Mexico and, you know, obviously the rest of the, uh, the teams in there, but yeah, on a, on a world cup level, like we need our A team out there. I, yeah. you know, 
our, our B squad is not going to, is just not going to finish it off and, and get the job done, at least in my opinion. But um, we do have depth on a much greater level than we ever had before. Yeah. And I don't, I don't want this to come out the wrong way, but I, but I really don't know how else to say it. If there were two positions that the United States men's national team is severely questionable over, it's that center back pairing and a number nine. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this is terrible to say, but if I was ever going to, if I was, if I had a choice between where, who was going to get injured, a striker that we don't even know who's going to be starting for us and a center back that we don't know who's the pairing is going to end up being outside of like Brendan Aronson and Kristen Pulisic and Weston McKenney. I think you're going to take that choice nine times out of 10 in those, those less depth, less short positions already, because not for nothing, no matter who we put up there, it doesn't seem to be working out at the time. So I don't want it to come across the wrong way. It's horrific that these guys are injured. You know, it's terrible. I don't want to see it, but I'm less concerned about those two positions being up in doubt compared to other places on the field. You're a terrible human being. Yep, probably. <laughs> uh, let's move on to some um, some good news, at least. Uh, Christian Pula assist, uh, 90 minutes played, one assist, four chances created, which were the most in the game, 76% passing. Could have easily had a second assist, but the goal got ruled, off, ruled out by VAR. Seemed like a pretty weak foul, in my opinion, on Timo Werner. And that guy can't catch a break in front of net mm-hmm. still. Um, but honestly, a great game for Pulisic. I think he ran, uh, had like an 8.1 or something along those lines um, for, for a rating. You know, his dad was sitting there on his burner phone ready to roll with a tweet. He was had, his Pulisic had to call him and be like, Dad, put the phone down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he actually just locked him out of it. He, just, he changed his passcode and Dad can't figure out anything. Not allowed to watch the games anymore. <laughs> um, good to see him back in action, though. When he's playing consistently and he's not hurt, dude, like there's there's no question he's the right guy. Like, one of the best players for Chelsea. I'll go out there and say Would that. you rather him uh, – because where he was playing in that game too – Right, he was more of like a center attacking, more of a center attacking ten, right? And we've kind of said previously, I I think he's amazing on that half turn. Not, and he's obviously great when he's one on one facing an opponent up. But when he has the ability to turn somebody, I think he's exceptional. I think honestly, the U.S. should play him there. But I'm kind of curious, you, would you want to see him in that ten spot, maybe even as a false nine? Yeah. If like I think he has that ability to do that, I think he's the best player for that position. I mean, I would still love to see us in a four-two-three-one where him, Reyna, and like Aronson, anyone, any one of those guys, they just interchange constantly. Yep. I think that'd be amazing for us. Him, him, McKenny swapping in and out, Tyler Adams anchoring. Completely agree. I mean, let's be honest; he's he's obviously our best player, and he's a fantastic player. Um, but like his his crossing is not the best, and that's a problem when you play on the wings a little bit more. And his finishing isn't the best, which is a problem when you play him in number nine. I think number Mike, you're right. Number ten cam position perfect for him lets him drive at players distribute play just worried about getting him worried about him getting hacked a bit because he'll be on the ball more frequently mm-hmm. yeah no, i agree um moving on who else we got here aaron long 90 minutes played in a 1-1 draw scored the lone goal for him had three interceptions five clearances one three out of four ground goals and five out of seven uh, in the air again questionable center back position greg seems to like him pretty much although uh, what was it like towards ACL? I forget what injury he had. Or was it something, something, something along those lines? Yeah. yeah so he was out for a good, a good solid year, but before that, he was actually getting pretty, pretty regular time for the United States men's national team as well. So good to see him kind of back in action and just adding another name, a name in that position at this point. Um, Haji Wright, 80 minutes played, 3 2 win, scored a penalty to extend his goal scoring streak to, I think, six games now. Um, with the injuries, like we've mentioned already, bad number nine play. My opinion seems to be a lock for the roster at this point in June. I don't know how he's not. 
I think we debated this pretty pretty recently, actually, too. And you guys all told me I was crazy and stupid, and then <laughs> no, I don't think you're crazy. I just we we talk about P folk scoring and how how many times you know, and and what happens when he comes to the national team. Like, it, there's no door. It doesn't seem to be any direct correlation between their play in their domestic teams compared to the national team because it's maybe just so different compared to how their club teams play. But I mean, he should definitely be getting run-ins in the friendlies that are you know on the horizon. Agreed. Any other take on that, Mike? No, he deserves a call up uh, given the recent issues with the nine position. So not much more to it. He's in form. Give him a shot. I like it. I like it. Let's head over to the Premier League, get our weekly recap going on, just go over the fixtures of this past weekend. Um, Chelsea 2-2 draw against Wolves. Wolves cut off that late on 97th minute equalizer. Uh, Brentford 3-0 win over Southampton. Burnley 3-1 uh, defeat to Aston Villa. Massive blow to their, rele their relegation hopes or survival hopes. Uh, Crystal Palace one 0 over Watford. Watford officially relegated from the Premier League. Um, pretty much is you know coming for a very long time at this point anyway. Uh, Brighton four 0 win over Man U. An absolute booty spanking in that one. Uh, Liverpool one one draw to Spurs, dropping points, giving Manchester lead, Manchester City a big, bigger lead at the top of the table. Arsenal two one winners over Leeds, who uh, are now sitting in the last relegation spot. Leicester one lost two one to Everton. Uh, Norwich lost 4-0 to West Ham, and Manchester City dropped a five-piece on Newcastle, 5-0. Boys, first off, Chelsea 2, Wolves 2, obviously a late equalizing goal right there. Chelsea could have put so many more away, points dropped at home to a lesser opponent, but Wolves also play a lot of tough teams tough. Any other thoughts on that one? I mean, talk about getting Roth back into the top four race at this point. What is it? Two points, maybe one point between them and Arsenal now at this stage in, in the season, which is not great. Chelsea had should could have and should have had that spot locked up. And I believe that's no wins in the last three matches, including two losses, um, two goals in the last 10 minutes. I mean, something's obviously wrong with their defense right now. They're, they're shipping in goals left and right. Um, but well played to the well, well played to wolves, uh, Chelsea seem to have slightly easier run in towards the end of the season. So we'll see if that makes any difference, but um, all to play for for spots three and four at this point. Yeah. So they're actually five points above uh, Tottenham with uh, three games to play for the, if, if they were to get, you know, go down that fourth spot. And then um, what was, it? I think one point ahead of Arsenal at this point. I think so. Yeah. One point. Yeah. And I mean, it's much better goal differential. So if it comes down to that, it's not even being in question, but um. Yeah, they, they could have had this thing wrapped up already, and it shows why they're not in the same level as Man City and Liverpool, at least competing for the title. Yeah. Um, Brentford 3-0 over Southampton, nothing there. Crazy there. Burnley 3-1 defeat at home to Aston Villa. Obviously, they were on a roll recently. I think they had, like, what, 10 points out of 15 possible uh, possible over the last yeah. five games. So yeah, they were, they were, they've been killing it. Came out of nowhere, too. We had kind of thought – I mean, earlier we were saying like 35 points, basically guaranteed survival because it looked like that's how poor the bottom of the half table was. Now all the teams are pretty much sitting at that 34, 34, 34, 35 point mark. Might look to be 40 this year now. Yeah. I mean, Burnley, in my opinion, are exactly where they want to be. 17th place. <laughs> this is the position they are just familiar with. This is their humble abode. Um I think Burnley, they play Spurs next. I don't necessarily know if, you know, they usually play Spurs pretty tough, but I don't think that'll be a game that they're probably going to win realistically. 
um, they I think they have a pretty good shot of staying up, especially given lead schedule who they have to play Chelsea next. And I think one or two other um, higher level clubs in terms of talent and quality. So it's looking, I know we kind of touched on the leads piece, but a little damning for leads and Jesse Marsh and company. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, what's your take on the four nil win for Brighton over Man U? I mean, at this point it just kind of seems to cap off Man United season. Like, Yeah. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's no other way to put it other than horrific. I mean, they're the first side to ever lose four zero to Brighton and Watford in the top flight. They're going to officially finish with the lowest point total they've ever accrued in the Premier League era. Um, that's after going out and signing players like Jaden Sancho, Cristiano Ronaldo, and Rafael Baran. It really just puts into perspective the state of affairs right now for them. Um, I did see a report, though, come out today or yesterday. I don't remember which one it was, saying Ronaldo has agreed to stay with United next season, assuming he's in Eric Ten Hag's plans for next next year. That's a big if given his age. It's a report. It's a report. Okay. A lot of the speculation was linking him with the move away from United. I mean, that'd be the first time Ronaldo's not going to be in the Champions League in what fifteen years at at that stage. Uh, yeah. Actually, yeah, at least two, I mean he signed in what two thousand and actually twenty years. He signed in two thousand and three. Um, so obviously big implications there. And Eric Ten Hag has a lot to do on his hands. I mean, I the way that. Antonio Conte is shaping up this Tottenham side the way that Arsenal are hitting their stride Chelsea are a wealth of talent and obviously Liverpool and City it'd be hard to look at this United team and say they're going to end up in the top four within the next two to three years don't even and don't discount Newcastle either with their budgets. <laughs> funny, so funny. I was just reading. Apparently, and uh, Ten Hag has given his express express consent to go out and sign uh, the Uruguayan striker from Benfica, Darwin Nunez. Darwin Nunez, thirty four goals across all competitions this year, lighting it up, yep. and he's linked with Arsenal, United, and who else? Newcastle United. Of course, he I is. mean those pockets are going to start flexing. The gaps will win and get bigger. So yeah. Um, we'll see what happens, but not good. <laughs> All right, let's unpack the Liverpool draw with Spurs real quick. Um, obviously, good for Spurs getting maybe a point that they might not have thought they could have gotten before. Um, Liverpool massive, massive two points dropped in that one. I think the the gap's what now four, three. Is it only three? Yeah, yeah, three points. Okay, then, but uh, City passed them on goal differential, which is a big talking point in that one. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. That five piece they put up against Newcastle really opened it up. I mean, they were yep. Liverpool were a point of, of one goal above Man City, and now they're four points behind plus another three up. Sorry, four goals behind plus another three points. So, I mean, barring the exact opposite situation happening with City dropping, losing a match, which is unlikely, and then Liverpool going out and scoring five or six, three games to go, it almost seems a little done and dusted now. I would agree. I, I think it's at this point, City's just, you know, unless there's an utter, utter collapse like by City, um, it's it's theirs to lose. All I'm saying is the story's still written. Ending the season with Gerard's Aston Villa, Aston Villa, the story's writing itself, boys. <laughs> I think you're being optimistic. <laughs> 
Yeah, slightly. But they do listen. They do have to go away to Wolves this this, this weekend, which is actually that's a midweek match. My apologies. Which is a not going to be an easy place to play. We just saw them take points off Chelsea. Granted, different tier type of team, but Wolves is not going to back down for anyone. They're still technically fighting for your uh, a European yeah. spot. Yep. So listen, that that there there's more than enough potential of a one nil victory from Wolves with five shots, maybe the most, and then City with twenty seven. Yeah. Smash and grab. And, and West Ham could do it too. We've seen them take take other teams down. They're, I mean, they're, they're Titan killers. That's why they end up in the position they do. They're, they're just Robin Hood, unfortunately, but for them, but um, it, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, it's definitely them, not out of the question. Goes out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Uh, David Moyes masterclass. Yeah. I think Liverpool are, I mean, I, I kind of feel like the, the title, the primarily title is obviously still there to fight for their eyes, probably going to be moving more towards the champions league realistically. And then also uh, what, what other game do they have this weekend? Is the FA cup or is it the, Yes, Saturday FA, the FA Cup final between Chelsea Cup and Liverpool. Final. It's the only only match on Saturday, actually. Rematch um, of the Carabao. Yes, Liverpool beat them in the Carabao Cup final on penalties. I think that was the one we were on 11 to 10, right? Kepa missed the one. Yep, Kepa missed the one. <laughs> so, I mean, I feel That'll like... That'll be interesting if that goes to extra time now. Yeah. But, I feel like Liverpool are going to have their eyes focused on those two trophies where they know they can get a win. And if they do that, that's still, in my opinion, a very successful season for them. So... Obviously, they want to win it all, but I think at this point, it's City is going to run away with it. So, from a Premier League perspective, let let me ask you something. Did you see Pep Guardiola's comments on Liverpool after? Obviously, he was reeling from the Champions League loss. Oh, I forgot. Oh, yes, I I forgot what he said though. I I was curious to get your take on it. So, this is a direct quote. He said, "Everyone in this country supports Liverpool, the media, and everybody." Of course, because Liverpool has an incredible history in European competitions, not in the Premier League because they've won one in 30 years. <laughs> like the all-time pettiest, saltiest move after again crashing out of the Champions League. In the horri- That was almost as bad as Remontanda, okay? <laughs> it was almost that bad. What, like, do you think he's right? Do you think he's wrong? What, what was your take on what he said? Um. I think there's definitely a bias towards Liverpool and the Premier League. And I think in particular is a bias towards Klopp. But I think to the extent he's making it out to be is not as drastic as it actually is. Yeah. I'll say, I'll say that. Like it's, it's not the country's fault well, that no one supports Man City for the most part, really. <laughs> like, I mean, they can't so fill a un- stadium. So unnecessary to say to media, yes. Funny as all hell and a great, like, great little jab. Absolutely. They read the comments out to Klopp in his one of his post matches, and he could not stop laughing while the reporter was was reading all the information off. It was hilarious. <laughs> but like, how, yeah, how do you how are you supposed to take that though? Yeah, like <laughs> he's obviously pissed off because of the Champions League. But look, it's not like, and I'm going to point this out right now. It's not like Klopp isn't petty, also like that. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Right after the Tottenham game, he comes out and says, "Oh, well, you know they." play like this type of football that isn't fun to watch and blah, blah, blah. But it's also like, you know, if Spurs one didn't play that way against Man City for the first two games, wouldn't one be in the title race. And then two, what do you expect them to do? Just roll over for you and open up to play into your game plan. Yeah. Like They're like, fighting for something too. Yeah. Like don't be an asshole about it. You know? <laughs> so I mean, it seems, uh, like, it seems fair to me. Look, all I'm saying is Liverpool are now in their third Champions League final in 
three years. What is it? Fifteen years. Four, fourth one in fifteen years because they won in 05. Yeah. They lost in like 07 or something like that. Um, and then they they lost. They, oh no, they're fifth. No, no. They lost yeah. against Real. They won one. Now they're back again. I mean, I mean, you can say what you can say what you want, but that's a club built for Europe. Period. And you're jealous because you you're not built for Europe. You're built for the Premier League. And there's nothing wrong with either way. But I mean, really. So they went inside early Holland. <laughs> As any normal person would. As any sane man would. <laughs> oh, great. Uh, other big matches. We got uh, Leeds versus Chelsea. Leeds fighting for survival. Chelsea fighting for top four. Kind of a cool matchup there. Um, same situation with um, – who was it as well? There's another one. Um, just kidding. Maybe not. Maybe that was last week. I lied. Yeah, definitely lied. Uh, Watford versus Everton. Think Watford can play spoilers on Everton? Just kind of say you're coming down with us. No, no, <laughs> no, no star masterclass. Quick no, answer, I no talent. I don't, I don't think so. I think they are probably going to be just utterly demoralized um, yeah. playing that game. So Everton look look to be clicking a little bit, and I'm very hesitant to say that because every time I think that they just shit the bed. So. I don't want to fully put it out there into the universe, but you know, they look a little bit better of a team over the past two or three games. So absolutely. Um, as it should be. Uh the next biggest one we got Spurs versus Arsenal. Mike, you want to take that one away? North London Derby. I don't know if there's much to take out of it. It's just a small game in North London. That's all. <laughs> uh, um, no, it's it's ginormous. Um, the Premier League scriptwriters back at it again, as always. Um Battle for su- battle for supremacy, battle for history, battle battle for Champions League. You call it whatever you want, um, but ultimately, it's Tottenham's chance to hopefully bring the race back to one point for a Champions League spot. Really put the pressure on Arsenal to potentially slip up later down the line. I still think Arsenal are going to probably get the Champions League spot by when it's all said and done at the end of the season. Um, just given the kind of the run in and the schedule they have, but. I think in this game in particular, I think Tottenham will walk away with three points. So just given the atmosphere. Yeah, I'll call that right now. I'm I'm pretty confident in that. The way they're the way they're playing, the way they play against teams, especially after they totally capitulated in the first North London Derby earlier this year, they have a lot, a lot, a lot to play for, especially in front of those fans. So I, I cannot foresee them shitting the bed twice like that yeah and also antonio conte might literally rip someone's head off so yeah i mean tottenham in this match they lose they're out that's it anything but a win chalk them up for the fifth spot um it would be incredibly interesting to see what happens if they do win but i mean as a chelsea supporter or any chelsea supporter every anywhere you're hoping tottenham could pull it out because that basically guarantees them a top four spot um i would just like to see it stay interesting I don't know. I don't think they're going to win, though. I I, I genuinely think Arsenal are going to win this game. Sorry, Mike. Sorry, Mike. (laughs) 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 It'll it'll be fun to watch, though. They they typically have some epic encounters. I feel like so. Um, We'll leave it at that. Spurs go right back into action on Sunday, though. After after that, that game's on Thursday. Only two day break. Um, they face Burnley, so obviously that that was that's what it was. It was potential top four, and then Burnley fight in relegation. I was right. 
Um, two big back-to-back games for, for Tottenham. It's never easy kind of, kind of doing that. Um, sometimes, you know, it could be a potential letdown. Say they come off. This could be the most bursting of all time. Win, yeah. get back into the top four race. That's exactly what I'm expecting is they drop a point <laughs> they against play Burnley. Burnley on Sunday. Yeah, that's what I would expect. They get the <laughs> win against Arsenal and then they draw Burnley 1-1. <laughs> Smack you over. That would be an interesting one to watch. It's just, it's, it, those teams, when they fight survival, it feels like year after year after year, they find like that second gear like, that they've been like, holding in the whole time for the season. They're just like, okay, we have literally nothing to lose. Like, Let's just throw it out there. And it makes you wonder if they play like that all year long, what, what, what they would have been like. Well, you can see that with Burnley. They apparently are 10 out of 15 points over the past couple of games. So they're pretty damn good when they decide they want to unshackle themselves. Just go forward. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one last big one from the weekend. We kind of already touched upon it a little bit, but West Ham hosting Man City. Obviously still a game that's potentially going to cause problems for Manchester City and the top, the, the, I shouldn't say top four, the championship race. Um, do you honestly guys think, like, I feel like West Ham can pull something out of it. It's definitely on the table. Do you think they actually will? No. City are out for blood. They're, they're upset they're not in the Champions League as they should be uh, because they should be in the final. This is it at this point. This is their, their last trophy of the season. Um, actually, their first and only trophy for this season. Yeah, what a terrible place to be in, I know. But um, <laughs> um, but they're, they're going to come out vicious, absolutely vicious. Um, I, I just don't see how West Ham are going to be able to cope with that, to be completely f- frank. They like yeah. to play pretty open as it is. So, yeah, they could, that could either work really well for them. We could see like a, a 3 3 at like awesome game end to end, or Man City come in 4 1 winners. I mean, I've been saying it all season. I think West Ham are a good team when they have their preferred 11 out there. But beyond that, like the quality and the depth they have is just not enough. And I think ultimately that's going to be the difference makers who City brings on at, at like a halftime point of view. Because maybe it'll be a closer game, but I think City just have too much firepower for West Ham. And those minds, those legs are going to be tired from the extra games in the Europa League conference, the extra games they've been playing throughout the season. I just don't see West Ham having the ability to even get a point. Uh, do you want to you want to hear the, the worst part? In the Premier League, West Ham haven't won a game at home since January. Really? I lied. They beat Watford in Norwich recently, but outside of that. <laughs> outside of that, yeah. I, I mean, wow. they, they have drawn to Burnley. They've lost to Brentford. Um, they lost to Tottenham. They lost to Southampton at home, Liverpool at home. They haven't they haven't won a home match in the Premier League, that is, in a long time. January 1st, the first day of the year. Wow. Okay. Interesting. So they're due. They're due. <laughs> <laughs> I love the gamers logic. Um, yeah, really the way I the way it feels to me is unless Mikel Antonio has a just masterclass type of performance bullying the which which is listen, I think what is it? Stones is out for the season. Um, Diaz and Kyle Walker. Walker, yeah, well, all three of them. I mean, not the best, not the best situation you could be in. Possibly, granted, do they have depth on upon depth? Yes, but you know, Fernandino is back there, and then Mikel Antonio is back up into him. Look, possible. No disrespect to West Ham, though, but City's backups 
are just as good, good as the starters. Yeah, I mean, like, not bad. You have like Bernardo Silva and Raheem Sterling that can sit on the bench for an entire match and bring them out. Like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> very fair, very fair. But just a thought that's out there. Yeah. Any uh, any other kind of matches that you guys want to touch upon real quick? No, I mean, those are definitely the big ones. Obviously, we have the FA Cup final between Chelsea and Liverpool, which we touched upon, but I think those are definitely the big hitters at this point. Yeah. Oh, actually, that's not true. There's one other match, a pretty big match, actually. Leeds and Brighton, a vital game for Leeds now that they are officially sitting in the relegation zone. Not only in the relegation zone, but with more points more, more games played than Everton and tied only on points with Burnley, but Burnley's goal differential is vastly Far superior. superior. Yes. Yeah. Like almost double for the most part. Um, actually not almost, it literally is doubled. <laughs> <laughs> um, given Leeds United's run of games against Chelsea, Brighton, Brentford and Aston Villa, do you think it's likely? The it's next very, very, home. very likely. That they stay up? Yes. No, they stay up? No, they go go down. Brighton's playing out of their mind lately. Chelsea, that's a weird one. I'm sorry. Only Brentford, Brighton, Chelsea. Not Aston Villa. Apologies. You're damn right. (laughs) Um, The next two are at home. Ellen Rose is going to be absolutely in scenes the entire – like, they understand that that's their last home stretch. Like, that's their last stand kind of situation. Then you go away to Brentford, who – by all means, I mean, listen, Chelsea's not playing great at all right now. It's an easily winnable game, if not drawing a point, which is huge at this point. Uh, Brighton's been playing very, very well. So, you know, they caught them a couple weeks ago. I'd say Leeds probably winning that game. Um, kind of a toss-up. Brentford, same situation. You can get a Brentford where Ivan Tony drops a hat-trick on you or the one that they don't create anything. Yeah. So, is nine points on the table for them? Yeah, absolutely. Like, they're, they're, all, they're all potential winnable games. How many can they theoretically? Listen, you get an early goal against Chelsea – you park the bus on them. We've seen Chelsea have a very, very difficult time breaking teams down when they have a lot of possession. So I, it, they got to steal three points from one of these games. If not, if they get six and they end up with 40. It's over. They win two games. It's over. I think they have a good chance. Well, with that being said, do you think one win in three is enough considering Burnley have to host Tottenham, host Aston Villa, and then go away to Newcastle on the final day? Uh, it's the reverse. Leave your dog okay? You got an intruder. <laughs> <laughs> or does he just hate the podcast? <laughs> they might. They actually might be barking at us. Um, no, it's the reverse. So Burnley actually go away to Tottenham, away to Villa, and they host Newcastle on the final day, which would be classic if Chris Wood just drops an absolute like hat-trick hero performance on him. Um, no, you're incorrect. It's the opposite. I'm like literally looking at it. You're looking at it incorrectly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Let's, you suck at betting, so like, how much you want to throw on this right now? I, I will really no, throw. A no, grand. I'm out. No, fuck it. You're right. You're out. No, nope. I'll lose money if money's involved. Okay, I'll, I'll throw a grand right now. <laughs> no, you're not, you're not taking it. Nope, no, I'm out. I'm out. All right. So, and for everyone listening, that is listening uh, at this point still, I won. Um, Tottenham are hosting them. Villa's hosting them, and they're hosting you. And Burnley's hosting Newcastle. Oh, that's a bullshit. In a premier in soccer, the home team goes first. You never noticed that? Left. On Google, it's the opposite. They put Burnley on top and then, and then Newcastle underneath them. You know what I'm saying? I'll take my grand. 
Yeah, I'm fuck it. I'm out. <laughs> um, I don't think either one of them have an easy schedule. Um, so that there's potential to win all the points, and there's potential to drop them all at the same time. Everton, same situation, right? Watford's probably their last easy game, and then they have Brentford, Crystal Palace, and Arsenal. Yeah, I, I think I think Newcastle. I think um, Everton are out. I think they're good to go. I think they have enough points with the games in hands and their schedule that it's really going to come down to Burnley and Leeds at this point. If whoever whoever can win two games, if if if, if any of them can win two games, they're they're definitely clear. Um, obviously, Everton has the best chance of that, in my opinion. Then it comes down to Burnley and Leeds. Three points, I don't think gets it done. Four potentially, five and above really puts you in that spot where it's gut reaction. Which goes who goes down at the three? Uh, Leeds, Burnley. Uh, I want to see Jesse Morris and Leeds in the Premier League so bad. I just feel like they're going down. I hate saying that. Yeah, that hurt. I, I think it's too much, too quick for them. These games that they have to play. The goal differential just screws them so bad. If that was closer, yeah. I'd, I'd give them more of a chance. Because even if even if they, they each win one or each win and draw, like you're fucked. Like they they ha- like they have to win two. I think four points would do it. I don't think so. I think I think, I think four points would do it. Do you, do you well? If it was anyone but Tottenham, Burnley had to play too because Tottenham could lose that game. Maybe be more, <laughs> more sure, but <laughs> they could. I don't. I don't think Newcastle are going to lose to Burnley. I don't think Villa's it's going to happen. Playing pretty well lately too. And Tottenham are if they if Tottenham win Northland Derby and they have all to play for. I, I mean, they got to play a big six team plus Newcastle, who are in just an absolute killer mode since they've been taken over. I mean, it's hard for me not to chalk those up as L's at this point, just from a, a higher, you know, third person perspective here, just looking at the team sheets, you know. I'll stick with Burnley, man. I'm taking it. You're convincing me. I want to say Burnley so bad go down. Uh, She's fucked up, but okay. <laughs> no, listen. I, I really love Leeds. I love the way they play. I love Bielsa. Jesse Marsh being at the head at the head now like, as a United States men's national team fan. Yeah, love that. And then Bamford was amazing last year, being a Chelsea academy player. I love seeing him succeed. He's been out pretty much the entire year this year, and with him starting, I don't even think this is even a question. Like they're they're sitting at the table. Yeah. So I don't want to see a squad that can definitely stay up and go down. Burnley. I get that. Sean Dutch is gone. Yeah. He, he can rebuild. Yeah. Figure it out. Any other final thoughts, boys? I have one final thought. Brighton got off to one of the hottest starts we've ever seen a club get off to that we didn't expect to be in the top half of the table. And come week 36, they are now in ninth place. They maintained it throughout the season, so full credit to them. Hell of a job by Graham Potter with that club. Um, and hopefully they stand behind him and they invest in that team because it, it's working for, for them. Again, they just needed a nine. <laughs> nine. <laughs> I don't know how many times we can say it. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. That'll do it for this episode of the Sunday League Screamers podcast. Like, comment, hit the bell, subscribe to us on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you find your podcasts. Also, follow us on Twitter at the SL Screamers underscore pod for daily tweets about the show, world football, United States Men's National Team, and the Premier League. I'm your host, Steve, with Mike and Vito, signing off.